Cruxcast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Alan Carter, CEO of Cabral Gold. They're a South American gold junior explorer, and yet another one. They've been at it for three years. The market doesn't really cared. Um, they've segued away from low-grade bulk type project into chasing high-grade veins. Some very high-grade veins indeed. Uh, enjoyable story. Alan, very committed. Uh, invested a lot of money in the company. Uh, so he's putting his money where his mouth is. Enjoy the podcast. Alan Carter, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you. Long time no speak. You've been a busy boy. I have, yeah. I have been busy. It's uh, very nice to be here, and thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat with no, us. No, I appreciate it, because it's not so we've told to uh, the subscribers yet. Um, so looking forward to kind of getting into it. But first of all, so where are you holed up at the moment? Uh, I'm in Vancouver, in my apartment in Vancouver, uh, downtown. Good. And I have been here for about 17 weeks now. So... Uh, but not that you're counting. Yeah, <laughs> no, not that I'm counting. Okay. Well, look, um, why don't we kick off with that usual one-minute overview of the business, and we'll kind of pick it up from there. Uh, sure, Matt. Uh, I'm the president and CEO of a company called Cabral Gold. We're a small Canadian-listed company. We have a gold project in Brazil, in northern Brazil. Um, our project currently has resources of about a million ounces. Um, actually, the project is more aptly described as a district um, it was the largest gold producer of, of placer gold during the world's largest gold rush, which happened in the 1980s. And there was gold washed from about 100 different areas. And our project, which is called Kuyu Kuyu, was the richest one. Um, so far, we have drilled um, uh, eight other targets outside the million ounce resource, which is open at depth. And uh, we've got economic high grade drilling steps in eight other target areas. And not only that, Matt, uh, but um, we've also been um, uh, discovering uh, new targets with very high-grade mineralization on surface in the last three or four months, particularly a couple called Alonzo, where the surface samples are averaging 91 grams a ton gold on surface, and Medusa, which is a new one, which is um, where they're averaging just under an ounce, about 26 grams a ton of surface. No drill holes on either of those targets. So it really is a district. Uh, we're targeting a very, very large gold deposit here, and we have an aggressive drill program planned for the, uh, the next six months. Okay, thanks for that. You're also going to tell us about a fundraise process that you've just been through, which, which is great. But let me start a little bit earlier than that. You've had a tough three years. It's junior gold exploring South America, Brazil specifically. No one cared, did they? Frankly, no, they didn't. It has been very tough. I, I'd actually say it's been uh, tough uh, be, uh, for a lot longer than that, um, really since about 2012. It's been very difficult, as you're aware, to raise capital. Um, you know, the, the jurisdiction we're in has had some ups and downs, that's for sure. I think it's definitely, uh, it's, and obviously this currently experiencing some uh, stress through the whole COVID-19 pandemic, as are most countries in our region. Um, so yeah, no, it has been very tough. Uh, I think things are starting to move a little bit now. As I've said to many folks in the past, when you see a big move in the bullion price, that cascades down into the majors through to the mid-tier producers and finally the juniors. And I think what you're starting to see now in the last month or two is that capital and that interest from investors is starting to arrive in the junior space where obviously you get maximum leverage. But you're also associated with being a low grade play as well. Do you think that was a big factor in this? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, our deposit, um, current, the average grade of the of deposit right now is 1.2 grams a tonne. That deposit was really outlined back in 2012, where, as you know, Matt, back during the last cycle, there was a lot of focus on ounces in the ground and a lot less focus on um, grade. And so there's there's certainly a lot of low-grade material at, uh, at QUQU, but um, there was not much of a focus on the high-grade material here, and there's an awful lot of it, and we keep discovering more of it. But what are you attributing the interest to? Because I know you're saying, okay, we're on a gold bull run. It starts with producers, falls, comes down yeah. to developers, and then eventually maybe explorers might see an upside if it goes on long enough. But I think the reality is people got excited and you were able to run raise funds off the back of these you know, very high-grade uh, discoveries that you've made at Surface, but they're not the norm, though, are they? Because your average grade is 1.2. So, I mean, tell us about how have you been discovering these? Why have they just suddenly turned up after all this time? Let's talk a little bit about the style of the, the gold deposits that we have on our project, Matt. So we're in granite terrain. So I have here in my kitchen a granite countertop. I'm sure a lot of your viewers will have the similar sort of thing. So the, the actual rocks are very similar to what's on my countertop. They're granites. Now, the gold deposits that we have are formed in structures or cracks that, 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 that open up within those granites. And the millions, uh, hundreds of millions of years ago, there was hot water that flushed through these cracks that had gold in it and deposited high-grade gold veins. But over the period of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of years, this hot water percolated in surrounding granite and, and deposited lower amounts of gold away from the main cracks. So the gold deposits are high-grade veins, essentially, which are up to 10 meters wide, which are never a focus for the previous exploration effort. And they're surrounded by these halos of lower-grade material, um, which extend up to 50 meters either side of the crack. So there are these wide zones, 100 meters wide, with narrow high-grade cores. And what we're very much focused on now, we're finding more and more of these, are these high-grade core zones. Um, and as you said, some of them are very spectacular grades associated with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, hugely spectacular. I'm looking at you know, 200 grams per tonne kind of spectacular. So, But tell me, tell me about the, the, the plan originally. You've been at this a while. You've been in Brazil a long time. You've felt, you're quite experienced in Brazil. Um, this isn't the only you know, board that you sit on. So you understand the country uh, and you understand uh, South America. So I understand that you understand how to mine there. I, I get that. But why was the plan focused on low-grade initially and why now why only now are you discovering that maybe these high grade shears are involved as well well the plan matt was and still is to identify a world-class gold deposit the project we've got is really special because as i said earlier it is and was it was the richest uh, placer gold producer during the gold rush days so our thesis has been if you're looking for a very large world-class gold deposit, you're going to go first to the area that had most gold in the streams and produced the most, most amount of gold in the streams. So, um, as I said, you know, initially when we started looking at this area, we were um, influenced by a previous success that we'd had with a deposit called Tocantins Inia, which is actually next door. It's now owned by El Dorado Gold. We were very much involved in identifying that and, and, and uh, involved in the discovery of that. And I used to own a three and a half royal percent royalty with my uh, partner. Now that is two to two and a half million ounce large low grade deposit. So 
the footprint on that is quite interesting because if you look at the historic plaster production during the gold rush days, it was only about 200,000 ounces. So we picked up the area next door, which had 2 million ounces of plaster gold produced during the gold rush days. So the thesis was, wow, there must be a much larger uh, low-grade sort of deposit here at QUQU. At, at but QUQU is very different to the, the Token Tanzania deposit that we found earlier in that there are all of these high-grade veins, which I think explain the fact that w why it produced 10 times more plaster gold than the than the projects ne next door. Now, the other Im important thing that I would say, Matt, if you look at our slide deck on the Cabral website, you'll see a comparison there of the actual resource based on the actual drill results that we got and the, uh, and the actual uh, 43101 drill resource. Now, as some of your viewers will know, when you calculate a resource, um, it's a statistical exercise and the independent engineering firm will look at the distribution of the data and cut back or cut out, cut back all the high grade data. And that normally results in a difference of 10 to 15% between the actual uncut, actual drill results and your actual resource you end up with. In our case, we've lost an awful lot more than that. The difference between just the inferred resource in terms of contained gold between the uh, resource based on the actual drill data and the cut resource is half a million ounces. Now, in order to bring all of that, those missing ounces back into the resource, we need to get more drill intercepts into the high grade material. We don't have enough um, drill intercepts into those central core zones that have the high grade mineralization in it. So there's enormous upside, not just with the two deposits that we've got that comprise the current million ounce resource. As I said, the, the resource based on the actual drill data is, is about 1.5, but it is a district map and there are all these multiple targets where we've done a little bit of drilling on some and none on the other. So there's no doubt in my mind it's going to get much, much larger. Okay, so next door you've got El Dorado. You, you, what was your role in discovering this two and a half million ounces? Um, well, a friend of mine and I, we picked up the project. So we owned it initially and we optioned it to a, uh, we did some initial surface work. We didn't do any drilling. And then we optioned it to a company called Perezoro. My partner went and worked for um, Brazoro as their VP exploration and, and cited the holes on, on, the, on the project. So we had it initially. So what are, are there any ongoing conversations between the new owners, El Dorado, and yourselves? Uh, yeah, we're neighbors. I mean, the claims are contiguous. Um, they have, um, there has been some public announcements that they uh, may be seeking a partner for the project. The interesting thing about their project, Matt, is it's a lot more advanced than ours um, and it is fully permitted. So they could actually make a production decision on that project um, any day, um, today, tomorrow, month, six months, and nobody knows. But it's fully permitted. And as you know, getting projects permitted in any jurisdiction, including where I am here in Canada, is, is quite a lengthy process generally. So um, that is a um, potential catalyst that we have no control over. Um, but it's always nice to be close to a neighbor with an advanced project of some significant size. Okay, so with that in mind, do you mind if we kind of roll back a few years and say, right, when you, when you first started off uh, with Cabral, as you've got today, what was the, what was the plan? Were you looking to just be a, a, a project, you know, prospect generator, project generator? No. You, you want to, no. right, so, so what, what did you want to be? Um, let's just get back again to why I have become so focused on this particular part of the world. 
Um, it's highly unusual in that, as I said earlier, it is the site of the world's largest gold rush in terms of people in history. So the gold rush that started here in 1978 in northern Brazil in this area called the Tapajós was 10 times larger than the California gold rush map. And in terms of gold that was washed from the streams, there's an estimated 20 to 30 million ounces of gold recovered from sand and gravel over, as I said, 100 plus areas. So it's a very special area. Now, thus far, there's only five gold deposits been discovered here. There's virtually no exploration work been done, and there's only five gold deposit deposits been done. I've been involved in two of those discoveries, and the team has been involved in three. So our manager in Brazil was involved in another one. Um, so this area has massive potential. The actual amount of gold that was produced here is probably significantly above 30 million ounces because obviously during a gold rush, most people aren't worried about declaring their production. And so that uh, opportunity has, has uh, I guess I've been obsessed with that opportunity. And as I said, Kuyu Kuyu um, was the largest uh, area where there was gold produced during the time. So um, the strategy for the company here is to discover a world-class gold deposit. We're, we already have a medium-sized gold deposit, okay? We're not going to settle with that. There's clearly an awful lot more gold here. We think that approximately 90%, and I think that's probably an underestimation, it's probably 95%, but let's go with 90% of the placer gold that was mined from the streams. We don't know where that was coming from. But we think with the million ounces that we have, we may have found the source of 5 or 10% of the gold in the streams. So um, it is very unusual. I've looked at hundreds of gold projects in my career and this one is um, is very, very unusual in that it is a district that the potential here is enormous. And as you know, I've been writing some pretty big checks. So I'm very closely aligned with my shareholders. No, I get, I get that. But I'm just, again, just trying to understand the, the public facing story here. So the first project, sorry, the, the first um, project which you found, you then optioned out. Right, you're capable of writing big checks, but you optioned it. Yeah, that was, pre, was, that was pre Cabral, though. That was in the very early days. Right, but, but you wanted. You, you just said, "I want to. I want to make a you know a world class discovery here." So was that a case of that to uh, to Zeno, Pardon the pronunciation. Call it TZ. <laughs> TZ. <laughs> TZ. Right, but it you you discovered it, but it wasn't world class. So you said, "Right, I'm going to option that out, and I'm going to start again." Is that is that what happened? Well, yeah, it was availability of the ground. So. At the time we first started looking to this, and this friend of mine um, came to me and said, had I heard anything about the Tapajos? This was a long time ago. And I said, no, I've heard nothing about it. And he said, well, look, there was this big gold rush up there. Um, that ended in 1995, and virtually all these areas are now abandoned. And I said, well, where was all this gold coming from? And he said, well, there will be multiple sources. And so we started looking for the sources. We went to Tocantins in your TZ first because... Um, he had seen, back in the late 19, 1990s, uh, gold-bearing veins exposed at the base of the stream bed. Now, most of these areas, Matt, if you might imagine, uh, they're covered with uh, water and vegetation and, and, and uh, material that's been washed by the small miners, and you can't see anything. Um, this particular area, he had seen the actual gold-bearing veins immediately under the, the gravel, that they'd, and they'd exposed it. So we took some samples there. Um, 
And um, we got, I, f I forget what we got. I think it was about 20 meters at about four grams or something like that. Interesting, but not, not spectacular, but it obviously it had never been drilled. Like most of these areas, it had never been drilled. So on the back of that, you know, we optioned it to a group um, that, that took it over. And this was when I was just transitioning as well from having a career with major companies to, to junior companies. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest, I was still a bit of a novice in, in, in the junior exploration market back then. But um, I've, I've since come up the curve. Um, but um, so the mineralized origin of that placer gold was exposed. And that's what's draw drawn us into Tokens and Z. We were able to make a deal with a guy that controlled the concession. And on the back of that, uh, my partner said, well, wait a minute. Um, there's this area next door that was 10 times larger during the gold rush days and is available. And so we stated. Okay. And do you retain uh, anything there, any connection with TZ? Uh, no, we've sold the royalty, so no, I don't. I all, don't have any. All gone. Okay, so let's, let's focus on what you've got. Okay, you're trying to make a world class discovery here, and you say you've put a lot of money in. How much money have you put in? Well, checks that I've written, it's about 1.7 million here. So I put in 200 thousand dollars of my own money into this current financing, 300 thousand dollars into the previous financing uh, around about this time last year, and 200 thousand dollars into the financing before that, um, and, and and obviously money, money. Uh, before that. The company is about two and a half, it will be three years old as a public company in, in November. Right, okay. So how much do you pay yourself? Uh, 125000 Canadian dollars a year, Matt Gross. So that's on our website, so it's under Q&A if people want to look that up. It's very easy and accessible. Any other consultancy fees, hidden funds coming your no, way? Nothing. We don't. we don't have a uh, consulting, uh, you, you know, we sublet the space in in Vancouver, um, I don't rent my car or I don't rent the office back to the company or, or have a management company or anything like that. That's it. That's it. Okay. And uh, how many shares do you have? Uh, I think I have about 8.8 .8 million. I don't know the exact number. I, I, I need to add it up. But I am the largest shareholder in the company. So let's talk about this raise and what you're going to be able to do. Because what, what I'm struggling with is trying to understand how you get the market, market excited after three years of not much happening. Okay. So... You're, you've, you've raised how much? Talk, talk to us about the, uh, the closing of the, fir the first and second tranches. Well, we announced a $2 million financing about a month ago uh, with no warrant. Um, it, I was quite surprised we had quite a lot of interest in that. And most deals I'm seeing that I'm being offered as an investor are all come with some sort of warrant. I'm sure it's the same for, for yourself. But we decided we would do a no warrant deal. So there's obviously less incentive. Um, and... Um, we subsequently announced that um, we've expanded it to $4 million. We've now uh, uh, grown it a little bit more to 4.2. I think, I think we probably had orders of 6 to 7 million, which was quite phenomenal. And I think to your point uh, about, you know, sort of it's been difficult for junior companies like us to sort of uh, get attention, I think that's starting to change. I mean, if you look at our share price, our share price is up three times by a factor of three in the last month or two, last couple of months, really. So I think that, as I said earlier at the outset here, I think the interest is starting to come back in and people are starting to recognize that in our case, we have a million ounce deposit um, and we have a market cap now of about $20 million, of which four million is cash. So you, you, know, you work that back to US dollars an ounce in the ground. And, and, and this company is currently trading at about 10 or 11 US dollars an ounce in the ground. Um, 
with enormous upside. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it has been tough, but I think we have an, an enormous opportunity in front of us. So how did you get to the three times? Are you talking about the lows, of the COVID lows? Yeah, I think we now? were at about seven or eight cents was the low. Yeah, um, but, but, you're, but you're, also, you're also the pre-COVID. You're about around the pre-COVID numbers now. So, you know, things haven't... Forget the V, shape recovery, because I think a lot of people experience that. But you're kind of at your kind of pre-COVID level. So when you say people are getting excited, um, are they getting excited or is it just that you're pleased that you've been able to raise capital? Oh, you're off with your pre-COVID. So we are at a 12-month high today. We were at a 12-month high yesterday. Uh, Thursday of last week, which would have been, um, I think that would have been the 2nd of July, um, was uh, the biggest volume day we'd had in our history. On Friday, which would have been the 4th of July, that number was over double. And yesterday, Monday, the number was even higher, right? So this isn't just a little sort of a, a bounce. Uh, we're bouncing back from COVID. There's something genuinely happening with our company. Uh, and I think there are there's several others. I think you're looking at several others. It's, there is something really happening here. There's definitely interest and money coming into the junior sector. Right. And there are lots of leading indicators I could I could talk to you about, but but things are changing. Yeah, but that, okay, I guess that's normal again because the you know producers are throwing off cash because it's seventeen hundred dollar gold. It hasn't been normal for a long time, but y- yes, that's yes, right. That's right. But you know, but it's no new news there. So I think people are seeing the benefits of a few investors throwing the cash around. Um, Mr. Eric Sprott being one of them. Uh, you know, from what we've seen, a lot of companies seem to be claiming Eric Sprott's an investor. Well, look, um, can, let's, let's, let's talk about what you think you're going to be able to do with this $4 million, okay? Because that, yeah. that's the key here. It's, like, it's, it's great raising it in, in an environment like this, but you've then, then got to deliver. So what are you going to do? Well, the challenge we've got, Matt, is that we have a large block of ground here. It's about 360 square kilometres or 36,000 hectares. And as I said, we have a district. It's clear that there are multiple deposits at Kuyu Kuyu, um, and I'm, I'm certain that we will make additional discoveries. Um, the challenge in that is that when you have multiple targets, the question then becomes, where do you focus? Um, where are the best places to go? Um, how do you allocate your limited resources and your limited capital to that? So the drilling that's been done on the project so far has all been diamond drilling. Uh, last year we did two diamond drill programs. We drilled about between four and five thousand meters. The average all-in cost for that drill program was two hundred and forty-seven Canadian dollars a meter. So not excessively expensive. Expensive. That would include the analytical cost too. So, but all diamond drilling. But uh, really, sort of drilling four to five thousand meters a year doesn't test or doesn't really. It's going to take at that sort of rate years to reveal the potential of the project. Now, we have been looking at reverse circulation drill rigs, which, as you know, are much quicker and much cheaper, much more aggressive. And there are very few RC rigs available in Brazil. We looked at importing one about a year and a half ago from the US and decided that it would be prohibitively expensive. It was a, it was a great little rig, but it was very expensive. Uh, importation taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, about six months ago, we found a used version of that identical rig that we wanted to purchase new. Uh, and to buy it new and to import it was well over a million US. 
we've just bought that same machine, albeit a used one, but it's only got 200 hours on the clock for 75,000 US dollars, right? So that was an enormous opportunity. This thing come up and this, and then, then we looked at, well, what's it gonna cost to drill with this machine? We're buying this machine for about six cents on the dollar that it would cost new or 6% of the new cost. Now, obviously we have to put a little bit of money in it. We'll probably put 30, 40,000 US dollars into replacing some of the parts. It's only got 200 hours on it, Matt. And so we expect that with that machine, we should be drilling for about 25 bucks a meter, including analysis. So and now there may be a little bit, we may be a little bit out on that. It may be slightly higher, maybe slightly lower, but with the same amount of money, if we'd have had this machine back in the beginning of 2019, instead of 4,000 meters, we would have drilled 40,000 meters. So we now have a tool, and I think a strategy, that will allow us to test all these multiple targets. And that's what we intend to do going forward. We are gonna start with um, these very high-grade undrilled targets that um, you know, we didn't know existed six months ago, and I'm sure there will be others that will come up because the, on, the, the reconnaissance program is ongoing and we continue to find new targets. And then we will move to some of the other targets, some of which uh, have not been tested and some of which have had some drilling. So it's going to be a very ex exciting time. I mean, essentially, our investors, if you're a shareholder in Cabral Gold, you're buying a company that has a, already has a million ounce gold deposit in the ground, which is currently valued at 10 US dollars an ounce. And you're... Uh, and we are going to be drilling, as I said, multiple targets. So every two or three weeks, we'll be moving that rig onto something new. And so every two or three weeks, there's the, there's the potential that we're going to make a brand new discovery. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm going to be getting a lot of sleep, to be honest. Um, um, it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, but exciting. But as you say, there's multiple targets also is kind of dilutes the message in a way. So, you know, what are you aiming to be able to deliver into the market in terms of, of, of messaging? You know, what, what, is there a robust plan? I get we can drill 40,000 uh, meters uh, versus 4,000 meters because we're, we've got this cheap rig bit, but there's gotta be a kind of robust, you know, linear plan to this, or is it just, you know, we'll, we'll you know, go anywhere we want and hopefully we'll hit something? <laughs> no, no, there, there is a very robust plan. Um, so tell us about it. Look, well, um, we the strategy of this company is to demonstrate that we have an economic gold deposit and we're very much focused on the high-grade potential of the project. So with this drill program, the, uh, we are going to be testing the three components of the high-grade potential here. And we'll start with these high-grade targets where we have very, very high-grade blocks on surface which have no drill holes. Now. I don't know, Matt, if you've had many guests on your show where they say, okay, target number one averaging, averages 91 grams a ton on surface. I don't know about you, but I don't see many companies having targets like that. Now, we've got multiple targets, not all that sort of grade, admittedly, but that's a pretty good one to start with. And so uh, we'll move from, we'll test that, we'll draw some holes into that. If we make a discovery there, and I'm optimistic, we, there's, I think there's a very good chance we might, We'll keep drilling until we've drilled that deposit out, and then we'll move to the next one. Or what we'll probably do is drill a few holes, move to the next one, 
and and wait for the results on the first one to come in. So there is a very robust plan. It's been hotly debated as a, uh, internally as a management team. And as I said, again, um, our investors are going to be exposed to the potential for discovery every couple of weeks. And so where we would like to be, I'd like to be coming back on, on, on uh, have a follow-up interview with you in six to nine months uh, to say, what have you done? What sort of results did you get? Did you make any discoveries? Can you demonstrate that you've got uh, multiple uh, deposits here? Um, so that's one component of it. The second component of this, Matt, is really to um, more accurately define, more clearly define the high-grade core zones to the two existing deposits where we have a million ounces, right? Now, last year, we drew some very, very uh, good holes. Um, you know, we've got seven or eight meters at 18 grams. Um, we've got multiple meters with some very, very nice numbers. And, and those are very close to true width. So we'd also like, with this money, to get more drill holes into the high-grade core zones within the, the two deposits that we have. But as I said, this is a district there are multiple deposits here. We have historic draw results, two or three kilometers from the existing million ounce deposits, which are running 39 meters at 5.1 grams. 39 meters at 5.1 grams. There's another area which is 500 meters to the south of one of the deposits where we've got three or four drill holes. One of those cut 27 meters at 6.9. Last year in a brand new area, we cut 3.4 meters at 36.9 grams a ton, right? So I can tell you're skeptical, but um, I'm not, ske I'm not, ske I'm not skeptical. Scary. Well, if I am skeptical, it's about this one thing. Okay, and we have you've asked other companies that come and talk about having 91 grams at surface. Very, very few. Okay, but what we do hear a lot is district-wide opportunity, and mm. ten years later, they're still discovering the district-wide opportunity. Very few right. of those excite the market because right. it's just more drilling, more drilling, more drilling. I can think of people like Great right. Bear, perhaps have done it well, maybe even Pure Gold to, to a degree. But many, many other junior explorers have not been able to catch the full value of what they've got under the ground because they never get to an end point. You know, it's like, so what are the stages of development for the company that then prove up some sort of value? I get chasing the high grade stuff. You've been focused previously on low grade bulk, You've said, well, actually, we've now got, uh, we, we, we've identified these high-grade things. Let's get people excited about those, and then we'll move on to the next one and the next one. But it, there's got to be some kind of plan here about how you come to market, because um, I'm trying to work out whether you're more excited about geology or whether you understand how to create value for shareholders. You know, where, where's, that, where's that balance between you know, achieving yeah. both those things? Look, look Matt. <laughs> I do have a technical background, but I actually don't do a lot on the technical side now, and I haven't. I mean, you know, I've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for small companies. I've had some real success, um, which we don't need to get into. But um, look, we think if we, if our thesis is correct in that there is a world-class district here, it's not going to be valued at $10 an ounce, right? So during the last gold boom, 2011, 2012, companies like us in Brazil were valued at between 50 and 150 US dollars an ounce. Now, I think those levels going forward will probably be exceeded. We're currently valued at about 10 US dollars an ounce. So the plan is to grow the resource as, and test all these targets, 
and determine as quick as possible with this new RC drill rig, which will allow us to almost double the amount of drilling that's historically been done on the project within just 12 months, we'll have a very good idea about how big this thing is. Uh, it's certainly much, much larger than a million ounces. Um, but, you know, once we've got and completed all that drill work, um, I think the value on this company is going to rise significantly. And I think you're starting to see uh, our share price starting to move, not just our share price, but other companies start to move. And, and then once we've determined how large this gold deposit is and how large this district is, we will then go through a scoping study and a feasibility study, probably a pre-feasibility study is an intermediate step. But what we do not want to do is do a scoping study and a feasibility study on a million ounce uh, deposit when we know for a fact that there's an awful lot more gold there. Okay, that's that answer your question. That answer, that, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And that, see, that's that's where I want to get to with companies because people need to understand, you know, what your plan is going forward. So I get you don't want to work up a one million ounce resource. Why? Why would you? It's literally the minimum threshold, I think. Um, so what is the number? What is that? What are the number of ounces? Because again, there are companies who've gone on and done built up five thousand, seven thousand ounces. I'm thinking one company in particular in West Africa, um, who just didn't get the credit for that in, in terms of valuation in the marketplace, their market cap and their share price was was held back because they just kept growing. So where what is the resource number that you want to get to before you start wanting to understand the economics and sharing that with the market? Yeah, well, I like to under-promise and over-deliver. So I'd be very happy with anything north of a million ounces of sort of seven or eight grams. I mean, uh, the last company we had, we found one of those in a different part of Brazil. And, and so um, I'd like to, I think this is going to get a lot larger than that. Uh, there is all this uh, low-grade mineralization there too, but um, I think there is going to be a number of deposits here of, of very high-grade mineralization. So, but as I said, we don't want to jump the gun here and, and sort of like, start moving through feasibility and, uh, and uh, scoping studies and feasibility studies on a resource which really doesn't do the district justice. There are multiple deposits here, that's clear. And so we want to be doing a feasibility study on a large mine, not a small one. Great. Thank you. That makes sense. I like that. Now, talk to me about what's happening in Brazil. Um, COVID lockdown, it's impacting a lot of companies. Um, some companies have had to be quite agile uh, and nimble about the way they approach it. How's it affected you? Um, well, let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, Brazil ranks uh, second behind the US currently in terms of the infection rate and, and the mortality rate. Um, it's, it's not very good news, but this is a country that is very large. It's uh, 212 million people. And so if you look at the, um, the uh, mortality rate uh, on a pro rata basis or, or per million people of the population. Brazil actually doesn't rank number two, it ranks number 15. So it ranks way behind where you are in, in uh, the UK and actually most of Western Europe. Uh, it ranks about number 15 on the infection rate per capita too. So um, look, the numbers are high, but it's a very large country. Um, now, with respect to mining and, um, and mineral exploration, mining and mineral exploration are regarded as critical industries. So uh, most of uh, the mines, if not all the mines, have continued to operate, albeit with precautions in place. Um, and and many of the explorers have continued to operate. We've, we took a more cautious approach. And at the beginning of April announced that we were suspending activities in the field as a precaution. 
um, even though legally we could continue to work. We didn't want to expose our, our people or, or the people in the local community to uh, potential infection. And um, the, the uh, pandemic really got going in the north first. It hit the north pretty hard, particularly uh, Manaus, Belém, some of these larger cities in the north. And um, so the north is, in terms of how the evolution of the pandemic, northern Brazil is ahead, uh, ahead of the, the curve here. Now, we're seeing infection rates drop in the region where we are and the state we're in. Um, the numbers are coming down. They're starting to flatten significantly. And so um, we expect that we'll be back on site sometime this month. Um, but it has been a challenging time. You know, we've lost basically three months of time or, or perhaps a little bit more than that. So, but the, I think the signs are, are generally quite positive. Uh, I think it will continue to evolve. It has moved the epicenter of the pandemic where we are in Brazil has moved towards the south. Um, uh, but uh, I think I think it is starting to show signs that things are improving, certainly in the northern part of the country. OK, well, I hope you do get back into it soon. Um, you know, that's there's some real work to be done in country. Um, so who raised your money? Who raised the money? Yeah. Well, it was a non-broker deal, Matt. So well, we raised the money. Um, we did. Okay. Um, well, let me correct that. Uh, there was a three hundred thousand dollar that was brokered mm. um, through uh, Paradigm, and uh, that that particular order came from an institution that needed to do a brokered deal. So we actually brokered it through Paradigm. But I think, uh, yeah, the previous couple of financings were also non-brokered. So you know, it's we've got a very supportive uh, shareholder base. We've been lucky enough to attract some really good people into the deal, and we've attracted some new shareholders and. Um, and some of the existing shareholders have, have continued to support us. And as I said again, um, I'm writing some pretty big checks. And, you know, I'm not a particularly wealthy guy. I'm living in a rented two-bedroom apartment in town. So I could have bought this apartment and some uh, with the money that I put into this company. But, um, you know, I, so I'm very committed uh, to making this a success. Okay, no, that's, that's essentially that it's non-brokered. I think that says quite a lot. Um, Alan, appreciate that. Nice run through. Um, do come on a bit sooner than nine to twelve months, uh, and let us know how you're getting on. Especially when the drill bit gets going, would be uh, interested in hearing how things are progressing. Yeah, thanks very much, Matt. And if anybody has any follow-up questions, please don't hesitate to check our website, cabralgold.com, or you can email me directly at alan a l a n at cabralgold.com. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.